33, then 34, and then Mark chapter 3, because we're going to go to chapter 3 to spend most of our time this morning. But we're going to start 33, chapter 33, 34, and then back to chapter 3. The cup we give you will not have cold water in it probably, but if I'll share if you need it. But For those of you that weren't here with us last week, I just want to share with you real quickly what those cards in the seats were that you found when you came in uh, this morning. Uh, a few months back, this church body, the membership of this church, approved a recommendation uh, from our board of directors to build a new children's worship area for our children, uh, for our kids. Uh, we finalized the plans with engineers and architects because the scope of the project uh, and because we are considered to be commercial, uh, you're required by law to have an architect and to have engineers. It's just part of it, uh, of, of what we, we, we have to do now. Uh, but we finalized plans with the architect and the engineers, and we've retained a contractor. Last week, I, I shared with you that, that we are blessed people to be living in a time that's experiencing a great economy. Uh, you know, economic growth has been good. It's been strong. And uh, along with that comes higher prices for goods, higher prices for services, uh, along with a lot of the, the disasters that have happened from hurricanes and, and tornadoes and all the different things, building prices and materials are just continuing to climb. And, and so, uh, of course, naturally, all the bids that we received, I shared with you last week, were significantly higher than the original projected cost that we had. But, of course, we began this project and began planning. It's been well over a year ago. Uh, when we began to do that and we were given the projected cost for the project. We have worked tirelessly and we have worked diligently to do the very best that we can to scale back, uh, to redesign, to cut as much as we felt we could possibly cut and still have a product that would meet the needs of our children's uh, ministry. But the current project still comes in significantly higher than what uh, was projected when we began this process. Uh, we, we also do not plan to borrow any more money. That's not what we're coming to you about. You approved an amount of money that we plan to borrow. Uh, and so we don't plan to borrow any more money than that was originally approved by your vote. Uh, but we also understand that that amount that uh, we have approved to, to borrow will probably not be sufficient to complete the entire project. It will get us in the dry and it will get us a facility we'll be able to use, but it probably will not be sufficient for us to be able to completely finish it out the way that we had planned and, and to furnish it. And although we'll be beginning construction as soon as our contractor can work us in to their schedule and begin, we are beginning, but we've also begun a building fund campaign that we would encourage you to be a part of to raise uh, additional funds that are needed uh, for this project. And what we're asking today is, is we're not, we're not going to take a special offering. We're just asking you to prayerfully consider it. We're asking you to pray about it. We're asking you to be open to what God might want to do uh, in and through your lives, in and through your families. This is a much needed addition uh, to our facilities as we continue to experience growth 
of young families that have young kids, and that's a good place to be. It's a good problem to have. And so uh, those of you that, that may not understand it, I would encourage you, even during this sermon, when you get tired of listening to me, just to get up and go back to our nursery today and, and experience what God is doing in our church. We actually have grown to a place to where we've always had one nursery. We, we, we're reaching the point now to where we're talking about and trying to figure out a way to have two different nurseries during the service because we have so many children uh, in our nursery. They're only going to grow up. And so we have a need. We have an immediate need in our church. And not only do we need additional space, but if you've ever been in our Family Life Center, you can tell by looking or smelling that it's 20 years old and has never had anything done to it. It needs to be remodeled. Some of you ladies repaint your house every other year. That still has the same coat of paint on it that it had. I think it's been touched up. You can see that too. But any additional monies that may come in from this building campaign will be used to uh, update that 20-year-old Family Life Center. And as your pastor, I just want to thank you for your faithfulness. I want to thank you for your faithfulness in the past and encourage you to pray sincerely about how God could use you in the days ahead uh, toward this exciting project. I'm, I'm excited to see the responses that we've already... I, I've, I've seen some people this past week make some sacrificial gifts to the church on behalf. And uh, I'm excited about that. And I can't wait to see the fruit that God is going to give us for our faithfulness and obedience to build the kingdom. I'm also excited that you're here today for our final sermon, our final week in the series that we've been in called The Name of the Lord. Have you enjoyed this as much as I have? Some of you, and that's awesome. But uh, this has really been something special uh, that God's kind of brought me to a few months ago, and I've been excited to uh, be able to share with you each week. And what we've been talking about, maybe you've missed the last three weeks. I really want to encourage you, if you missed the last three weeks, to go to our website and, and catch up. And listen, they're online. You can order DVDs at the Welcome Center. If you do podcasts, you can do all that. But here's what we've been talking about. If you haven't been with us, we've been talking about the name of the Lord. And we've been talking about that in order for us to know God, in order to us to know and understand who God is, we have to know and understand his name. Because hey, here's the deal. We, we've, we've, you know, we've based this series off of Exodus chapter 33 and chapter 34. And, and, and what we've been looking at is this. It's where God basically declares himself to Moses. And the way he declares himself and shows himself to Moses is simply through his name. And so what we've been doing is we've been trying to unpack uh, several characteristics that we found in Exodus chapter 34. Specifically, we've been looking at verses. 6 and 7 in chapter 34 where God declares himself to Moses through his name and what we've learned is that these two verses verse 6 and 7 in, in chapter 34 are the most quoted verses in the Bible by other Bible writers 
And so if you read the Bible very much, and, and ho- probably after four weeks, these two verses are probably going to be ingrained in your mind. As you read along, you're going to find yourself recognizing these verses all throughout Scripture. So a friend of mine shared with me this week, he was reading a passage out of Psalms that had really spoke to him on this particular day, and he began to read it to me. And as he was sitting there reading it, I was following along on my phone. Uh, lo and behold, there were these exact verses that the psalmist David had used and quoted, I believe it was in Psalm 145. And, and so you'll see them all throughout Scripture. It was like the Jewish uh, John 3.16 of the Old Testament. This is how uh, uh, important these verses were uh, to them. And so uh, Moses basically says to God in Exodus chapter 33, he tells God, he says, God, I, I want to know who you are. He says, I want to see your glory. And so God says to him in verse 19 of chapter 33, he says, Okay, Moses, I I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim what? My name, the Lord. And and we see that, that God shows us his glory in Scripture by doing what? Not by showing us himself, not by showing us him face, his face, but he declares to us who he is throughout Scripture by declaring to us his name. And, and so we see there in chapter 34, starting in verse 5, this morning, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name the Lord. And we've learned that uh, means Yahweh or I am. I am, I am the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. I am the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And so we've been looking at some of these characteristics that we find here uh, in these verses uh, that that, uh, we've mentioned here today and we're actually today though we're going to focus more specifically in on the name the name of the Lord is Yahweh and whenever you see in scripture the name of the Lord in all capital letters when it's spelled L-O-R-D in all capital letters what it means is Yahweh that is the proper name of God it's Yahweh and so his name reveals to us uh, uh, that, that we, you know, what, what his name reveals to us is, is important because it teaches us how to understand who he is and how we can relate to him. And we learn that through this name. And we see God first reveal his name to Moses. It's actually not here in chapter 34. God actually reveals his his name to Moses the very first time we see it in Exodus chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, flip over to Exodus chapter 3. We're not coming back to Exodus 34 for a very, very long time. Okay? Exodus chapter 3. We're going to get a better understanding this morning uh, of what the name of the Lord means to us and what it means to us when we know his name. And to give you some context here before we jump into this, Exodus chapter 3 opens up with Moses being pretty discouraged. It opens up with Moses uh, probably feeling pretty defeated in his life because think about Moses' life. At one time in Moses' life, things were going pretty good for him. He was living the dream. Think about it. He was the prince of Egypt at one time, and things were going great. 
But God began to do a work in his heart. And God, uh, he felt that God was calling him basically to a career change, if you will. And that career change was this, to deliver the people of Israel. And so Moses is just trying to be obedient. Moses is just trying to do what God's calling him to do. But things continue to not really go Moses' way and, and, and to go from bad to worse. The Jewish people that he's trying to help, the very people that he feels God has called them to, has begun to begun to criticize him. They, they begin to think, you know what, Moses isn't so great. He was great when we hired him at first, but now, you know what, I think we might want to have somebody different leading this because we're not sure he's cut out to do what, what, what we need him to do. And so they begin to criticize him. They begin to reject him. Pharaoh got angry at him. Moses found himself in a situation to where he, you know, for whatever reason was going on in his life, he ended up killing a man while he's going through all this. So you can see why Moses might be feeling just a little bit discouraged. You might can see here why Moses might be feeling a little bit defeated at this point where we find him today. And to top that all off, coming into Exodus chapter 3 here, Moses has been wandering around in the desert with this bunch of complaining, criticizing bunch of folks. And, and he's about at the end of his rope. You can see it. You can experience here. And, and so he's basically been wandering around in the wilderness nursing this failure that he feels he is, you know, and this feeling of insecurity security that he has about himself because of what he's going through in his situation. And I'm sure that there are probably some of you that are here today that can relate to Moses. You can relate to Moses' feeling of discouragement. You can relate to Moses' feeling of maybe insecurity in your life. Maybe, maybe you got hired for a job. And you were real excited about getting this new job and, 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 and you weren't, you know, positive that you could do it going into it. And once you have got into it, you found out that job wasn't all that it was cracked up to be when you wanted it so bad. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe the people that you've been placed around, maybe the people that are around you are hard to deal with. And they're very negative people and they're beginning to criticize. They're beginning to critique. They're beginning to question and so it's wearing you down. And maybe some of you are at a time where you feel like you don't measure up to everybody else's expectations. And, and, and when you feel like you don't measure up to somebody else's expectations about you, well, what does that do? That makes us feel insecure about ourselves, that we're not making everybody happy or doing what everybody else thinks we ought to be doing. Maybe some of you are approaching retirement you're getting a little older, like I'm getting a little older, and you're getting to that point in your life to where, you know, you, you really feel like you ought to be in a place, in a situation to where you can retire and, and live the dream that you had always dreamed of retirement. But instead, you find yourself in, in these later years, and, and you're disappointed about the situation you're in, and you're not really where you wanted to be at this point in your life, and so it's discouraging. Some of you, I, I hear babies all throughout. We talked about the nursery. Some of you here are, are new parents today. And let me tell you something, just that in itself can be overwhelming. Um, I, I, remember, uh, <laughs> I remember before we had kids, I thought I knew everything there was to know about being a parent. Matter of fact, Lynette and I would go home. We would watch your little horrid kids at church and we would go home because we didn't have any and say, if that was my kid, this is what I would do. If that was my kid, this is how I would handle that. 
You know, we had all the answers. And a matter of fact, I probably even preached and told some of you how you ought to raise your kids. And then I had kids of my own, and I know nothing, right? And those of you that have kids, you know nothing either. And so we're just doing the best we can with what we got. We're trying to figure it out along the way. But let me tell you something. Raising kids can be sometimes discouraging. Raising kids sometimes can be overwhelming. It can be draining. Listen, insecurity. Insecurity is a voice inside of you that whispers, I am not blank enough. Insecurity is a voice inside of us that whispers and sometimes it screams loudly. I am not blank enough. So can I ask you this morning, what is it for you that goes in the blank? What is it for you today that you put in that blank? I'm not enough. I'm not good-looking enough. I'm not athletic enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not young enough. Spiritual enough. You know, in the age of social media, the world that we live in today, the world of Facebook, the world of Snaps, the world of Insta, all these different things, I believe that these insecurities in our lives are only fed by seeing how awesome everybody else proclaims to be, right? I believe it feeds our insecurities about who we are. I'll give you an example. I absolutely despise social media on Valentine's Day. And the reason is, is because it makes me feel absolutely horrible about myself. Because I'll think, okay, Valentine's Day is coming up, you know, and for me, you know, to be, do something really awesome at Valentine's Day would include not just a card, but also maybe some candy, you know, or, or a card and, and candy. I have even been known to do a card, candy, and flowers all in the same year, right? And I'm thinking I'm absolutely the greatest thing since sliced bread. My wife is going to just bow down before me and, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely feeling really good about myself because I've got a card and candy and flowers and then I get on Facebook and, and look at what some of you have done for your wives and you're like, well, I got my, my you know, my husband got me an a, a Alaskan cruise <laughs> and bought me the boat that we're going to cruise on. And I can't hardly stand you. I really can't. God says we're supposed to love all people, but I, I'm struggling with some of you. But, uh, but, but honestly, we, we get on Facebook and we do that, don't we? We're like, oh, you know, I failed. I'm a failure. I, I can't do this as good as everybody else is doing it. And so it makes us feel insecure about ourselves when we try to, and we, I, we've talked about this a lot around here, when we try to measure up ourselves against someone else, we always lose, right? And so here, here's the statement that we've been looking at every week of this series. We've talked about this and we've said this. Whatever comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. All right. Whatever comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because we've talked about we tend to move toward whatever our mental image of God is. And, and, and we've said that we will begin to resemble whatever it is that we worship. So whatever it is that we are worshiping in our lives, we will begin to take on those characteristics 
of whoever or whatever it is that we worship. Don't miss this. We will begin to resemble what it is we worship. We will begin to take on the character of whatever it is that we worship. So how you see God, how you view God determines more about your life. It determines more about your relationships than anything else in this world. It does. It just does. And so we're going to see this uh, today as we see how Moses deal with the insecurities that he has in his life. So let's look at the story real quick from Exodus chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1. We're going to look at a lot of scripture. They're going to do their best to keep up back there at the back. If they flip too fast, it's my fault because I'm reading too fast. So Exodus chapter 3, start at verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father. Now I want to stop right there for just a second. I want you to think about this. Moses has gone from being the prince of Egypt to now being a shepherd. One of the most lowly jobs on the, on the planet. Okay, it's one of the lowest jobs that you could have as a human being back at this time. So he's not climbing the ladder of success, is he? No, as a matter of fact, it appears that he's completely fallen off the ladder of his success and he's hurting real bad now. He's feeling it because he's hit ever rung on the way down. Probably, it's probably how he feels. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. That would be strange, wouldn't it? So he says, I'm going to go over and see this, why this bush is not burning up. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen, seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now skip down to verse number 10. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Wait just a minute. <laughs> Up till now, we've been talking all about you. Why are we now turning this conversation on me? Because who am I? He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He, he don't like me. I, I've killed a guy, remember? I'm a murderer. I've killed a guy. Pharaoh don't like me. I am nothing more than a lowly shepherd. God, I think you're making a bad call here. I hate to tell you what to do, but I think you're making a mistake. And in verse 12, God said, I will be with you. Now, it's interesting here how God deals with Moses' insecurities. How he deals with Moses' discouragement. How he deals with Moses' doubts. He doesn't try to boost his self-esteem here, does he? Moses is saying, I'm not what you think I am. Moses doesn't try to 
Change his mind. Doesn't try to boost his self-esteem. He doesn't try to tell Moses how awesome Moses is. He doesn't tell him he's underestimated his talents. What does he say? He simply says, I will be with you. Don't miss this, folks. Real confidence in this life does not come from your competence. You can step confidently into the next phase of life. You can take that next step with confidence, not because you're awesome, but because God is with you. Verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you should say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. I am has sent me to you. And God goes on to say, this is my name. This is my name forever. The name that you shall call me from generation to generation. Folks, the name of the Lord is important. It is powerful. And his name is I Am. And that name, his name, I Am, transforms your identity if you allow it to. It changes who you are and your identity. Now, as we've seen, Moses was really insecure, right? Not only were things not going his way, but we also learn in Scripture that Moses had some sort of speech impediment. You know, I don't know if he had a lisp. I don't know, you know, I don't know if he talked like Pee Wee Herman. I don't know what his deal was, but evidently he was hard to listen to, right? And so he had these issues. He had personal failures in his life. He had killed someone. And because of all of these things, we, we can see here that he had a lot of personal doubt. Who am I? And I believe that many of us here this morning can relate to, quest, to Moses' question. Who am I? Because you've been criticized. And maybe you've actually began to believe those criticisms about yourself because they came from maybe your parents or they came from a spouse or they came from a friend or they came from someone that, that you respected. And, and so now you're beginning to believe those things that they've said about you. And what does that do? That makes us feel insecure. But everything that Moses had experienced, think about this, was actually doing what? It was preparing him for what God was bringing him to. All of these events in his life had taken place and God was using those things to prepare him for what he was actually calling him to do. But Moses didn't understand that. Because he didn't realize that the I am God had been with him every step of the way. Every step of the journey. 
And, and there are some of you uh, that are so consumed with your failures and you're so consumed with your disappointments and doubt that you can't see that God has been there all along. He has always been there. The great I am has been walking with you all along in every disappointment, in every pain, in every tragedy because he's been preparing you for what he has for you next. He's been preparing you for something bigger than what you could ever dream or imagine in your life. And my challenge to you is look back on your life if you want to. Look back on your life and say, you know, whatever has happened, good or bad, whether it was right or whether it was wrong, that there was a God that was in that who was shaping me and preparing me for something bigger and something better. But here's what's interesting. God doesn't use that line of reasoning with Moses. <laughs> it's true, but he just doesn't bring that up. All that God says to Moses when Moses says, God, who am I? God says, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am. <laughs> Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Moses says, but I'm not eloquent. I'm not smart. I'm not successful. God says, I am. Huh? Moses, I didn't choose you because you were all those things. I hate to burst your bubble. I didn't choose you because you were awesome. In fact, God doesn't typically choose the person who has all the answers and think they've got it all figured out. You read scripture, that's typically not who he picks. That's not who he chooses. God doesn't choose to use people who think they're awesome. God chooses to use people who he, who he can use for his glory, not theirs. So he chooses people that are broken. He chooses people that are discouraged. He chooses people that have doubts. He chooses people who are insufficient because they are the ones who will allow him to work. They are the ones who will allow him to work in and through them, and they are the ones who will give him the glory. Because everybody knew who we were before we started, and they know it had nothing to do with us. That's why the Apostle Paul says over in the book of Corinthians, he says, it's not the mighty, it's not the wise, it's not the strong, it's not the wealthy that God chose to build his kingdom through. Because if he chose the mighty and the wise and the strong and the wealthy, when it was all done, they'd say, look how awesome we are. Look at what we did for God. And God ain't having none of that. He wants someone who is going to give him the glory. And I would argue that feeling inadequate is a prerequisite for being used by God. Because if you feel adequate, if you think you're awesome, then I believe that you've just lost your seat off the bus of people that God is going to use. <laughs> because God chooses the weak. He chooses the broken. He chooses the discouraged and the insecure. And you may say, I may not be, but he says, I always am. And my amness 
will overcome your notness. <laughs> but God, I'm not very good. I am. God, I'm not very skilled. I know you're not, but I am. God, I'm not doing a very good job living this Christian life. I am. It's not about who you are. It's about who he is. <laughs> and him living through you to do what you can't do, but he can. I know that some of you probably walked in here today with all kinds of inadequacies, all kinds of deficiencies, worries, insecurities. Do you know what? You don't even know the half of it. You're so weak that you don't even know if you'll be alive tomorrow. You're so weak and so small and so frail that the book of James says you're nothing more than just a wisp of smoke, a vapor. In the scope of the universe, you're so small and so insignificant and frail that you don't even amount to a grain of sand on the ocean floor. I know you're thinking, man, I'm glad I came to hear this. Steve, thanks for making me feel like nothing. <laughs> Thanks for making me feel so small. Listen, I'm not trying to make you feel small. I'm trying to tell you that you are small. Amen. And there's a big old difference. And any preacher that stands up here or stands before you and preaches and tries to motivate you by actually making you feel big is not preaching you the truth. They're, not actually, they're actually telling you the opposite of what the Bible says about our lives. God doesn't want you to think that you are. He wants you to know that he is. And that's why he says, my name is I am. And so, who could possibly be smart enough to figure all this out? I am. How am I supposed to know which way to go? I am. Who can I trust? I am. I'm not sure who's on my team. I am. Nobody's listening to me. I am. My marriage is falling apart and I don't know where to turn. I am. I'm 50 years old and I feel like I'm not successful. I am. Everybody thinks that I can't do it. I am. What if I fail again? I am. I'm not sure I believe this anymore. I am. I, I've given all I can give, and it's not enough. I am. I'm pouring into everybody, and nobody's pouring into me. I am. I can't hold on. I am. I'm tired. I am. I quit. I am. I need a drink. I need a fix. I need a hit. I am. I need a lover. I am. I need a friend. I am. I need a fresh start. I am. I just need somebody to hold me and tell me that it's going to be okay. I am. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus is like, 
I got to expound on this. You know my name. My name is I Am. But I've got to expound on this even further. And what we see Jesus do over in the New Testament is he begins to attach himself to our deficiencies because he knows we're insufficient. And so we see him attaching not just himself, but attaching his name to the areas of weaknesses in our lives. And he says this, when you feel like you're in the dark, he says, I am the light. To those who thirst, I am the living water. To those who feel lost, he says, I am the way. To those who feel confused, he says, I am the truth. To those who feel like death, he says, I am the life. To those who have lost their way, he says, I am the shepherd. To those that don't know where to go, I am the door. To the, to, to the unrighteous, he says, I am your righteousness. To the powerless, he says, I am your defense. To the defeated, he says, I am your hope. <laughs> Listen, knowing what you know now, Knowing what God's name is, knowing what God's name means, can you see how it is the most important thing in your life? And when you become a Christian, I want you to think about this. When you become a follower of Jesus, when you become a Christian, you take on what? The name of Christ. You take on his name, the great I am. And so what he has, who he is, don't miss this, you now have. You now are. The Bible says that when he comes to dwell in us, all of who he is is available to us. That's exciting stuff. And when you tell yourself you're a loser, when you tell yourself you're a failure or you're a terrible par parent, God says, I am not any of those things. Right? And if I am in you, that means you are not either. And what I am, now you are. Wow. And so when you say, I am not, you're saying to him, you must not be either. Listen, whatever you're not, whatever you need, whatever you didn't get from your parents or your teachers or your boss, Whatever, whatever you're not getting from, from somebody else, he says to you, I am. And that means when the Pharaohs in your life start to say, who do you think you are? You say, I don't think I'm anything, but I know who is. <laughs> I don't think I'm anything, but I know the great I am. When your heart tries to tell you, you are not, we shout back, you are right, but he is. Amen. So my challenge to you is name your insecurity. Name it. Fill in the blank. Put it in the blank, whatever it was. I am not what enough. Fill it in. What is that blank for you? And then right underneath that statement, write this. But in Christ, I am. Sure. 
Which leads me to something that I'm going to close with. I need to make a correction before we close this series out on something that I've told you every single week. I told you today, and it's this statement right here. Whatever comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. This idea, this statement that we've been using actually comes from the writings of A.W. Tozer in a book that he wrote called The Knowledge of the Holy. After Tozer wrote this book with these ideas that I've been sharing with you over the past few weeks, after he wrote this book, C.S. Lewis read that book. They were close to the same age, actually a year apart. C.S. Lewis read the book, and he wrote this about what he had read. He said, I read in a periodical the other day, talking about A.W. Tozer's book, that the fundamental thing is how we think about God. By God himself, it is not so. How God thinks about us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. Now, I'm not telling you that it doesn't matter what you think about God because obviously that's the whole series. But I am saying that the most important thing that you understand about God is not just who he is but who he has become to you. Who he has become to you. Because you have everything you need to be everything that he has called you to be. Which means if I'm not a great husband, that's okay. Because he is and he will be that through me. It means if I'm not a good preacher, it's okay. Because he takes the willing and the weak vessels and he pours himself through them. Walking with God doesn't mean that you're going to become Superman. Okay? It just doesn't. It means that you yield yourself to his name. The great I am that begins to work in you and through you. And so it's been my prayer over these past several weeks as we've gone through this series, and it's my prayer today that all of us will truly understand the power in the name. The power of the great I am. For every question that you have, there is an answer. I am. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for your powerful presence. We thank you for this reminder today of who you are. And God, we thank you that as we can grow to learn who you are, as we can begin to comprehend and maybe understand the power of the name, that I am truly is the answer to every doubt that we have in our life. It's the answer to every question. It's the answer to every difficult situation and journey that we may go through. 
Because what we are not, you are. And so I pray that we would allow that and allow the power of your spirit to begin to settle in on our lives, settle in on our hearts and our minds, that we would fully understand and recognize who you are and whose we are if we're your child. And God, if there would be one person here today that has never accepted you, has never been united with you and become one with you by surrendering their life, God, I understand that every day and probably every moment is a struggle. But God, with you, we have everything that we need. We're absolutely nothing without you. And so if there be one here today that's never surrendered their life to you, I pray today would be a day that they would do that. It would be a time that they would just get alone, maybe perhaps with you and pray. Surrender their life and their will to your will and then experience eternal life with you in heaven. We love you so much. Thank you for loving us and giving us these encouraging but yet challenging words today. Continue to use us. Continue to guide us, and we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.